Welcome to Good Feels. I'm Phoebe and every single week I'll be dropping three brand new episodes and basically this podcast is just here to serve as a timely reminder for us all that there is so much good in this world. In today's episode, I get threatened. Phoebe, I'm happy to punch you in the face if you want to know. <laughs> I learned something. There are some radical views that are being put forward at the moment that really run against the way that we've conceptualised it in the past. Even the, the use of the term disorder, for example. But above all else, I have a really good laugh. Just, I just want to ask out of curiosity, do you have anything that you do before you get on stage at a show to, like, psych yourself up? Um, I just, like, dance around in circles and just, like, tell myself you're going to do so well tonight. The crowd's going to love you. Focus on giving the audience a good time. Make the crowd feel good. Oh, and have green tea. Today. Sorry? <laughs> green tea. And, and horny goat weed, natural Viagra. Because <laughs> it has ginseng in it, it makes you concentrate. Wow. Yep. I've never heard that one before. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's one I'll try personally, but it works. It works. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know. What do Billie Eilish, Richard Branson, Emma Watson, and Shaquille O'Neal all have in common? Aside from tremendous talent, global success, and small fortunes, Each of these trailblazers are not only leaders in their fields, but they're also neurodivergent. Up until recently, some of the common neurodivergent labels like ADHD, autism, bipolar, Tourette's and dyslexia were labelled as disorders and seen as problems that needed to be fixed. But recently, there's been a really positive shift around the kinds of language used, particularly in the medical community, who now celebrate the idea that it's completely normal for people's brains to function differently. Among these people is Dr Travis Kemp, one of Australia's leading organisational psychologists who believes that neurodiversity is a superpower, not a problem. Yeah, so I think our understanding of ASD or autism spectrum disorder has been constructed and and been built over a long period of time um, in the way that we identify and diagnose the disorder, even the way that we define the disorder. So we're we're coming into a phase where people um, are starting to question the validity of that model and question the way that it shows up. And from a psychologist's perspective, have you noticed there's been a bit of a shift in kind of the widespread, I guess, perception of neurodivergence? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, to be honest, it's a really contentious issue. So that there are some radical um, views that are being put forward at the moment that really run against the way that we've conceptualised it in the past. Even the, the use of the term disorder, for example, Um, is appearing to be um, somewhat limited and and not helpful at times. So, you know, our language is is focusing much more on, you know, what is the uniqueness, what is the difference, how we put together in a way that is um, fundamentally different to somebody else, for example. And the the terminology we used to use in the past was very much, you know, it's a spectrum and people would have heard that term, the autism spectrum. Um, but what we're discovering is it's, it's much more complex than just a linear spectrum. That's why we're starting to use the term a rainbow, because it has multiple dimensions. The way it shows up for individuals is very unique and different to somebody else. And, you know, to be able to understand it more fully requires us to sort of break out from that constraining continuum idea into a, a broader sense. ADHD, autism, bipolar, Tourette's and dyslexia, you've heard of them all and you probably know people who have them. And up until recently, these were labelled as disorders and seen as problems that needed to be fixed. But now there's been a really positive shift around the language used, particularly in the medical community, who now celebrate the idea that it's completely normal for people's brains to function differently. Someone who understands this more than most is Nicola Costello. Nicola has always known her brains worked a little differently, 
and has always struggled to work in quote-unquote traditional environments. But rather than trying to mould herself to fit other people's expectations, she embraced her strengths and skills and in doing so has built an incredibly successful life and career. Hi, I'm Nicola. I am 30 years old. I own three uh, F45 studios. I am a professional boxer and I am ADHD. Awarding the victory by TKO and the new Australian flyweight champion and it goes to the blue corner, Nicola. You know, I'm so lucky to be where I am at with my boxing and I'm so glad that my brain is as chaotic as it is and I am as attention-seeking as I am because it's almost like the ideal, you know, sport for me to be doing or just anything for me to be doing. I love everything about it. You know, I love the challenge constantly. Um, I love the walking out to the ring and people are yelling and it it's like I'm fighting people who have trained since they were seven years old and went to com games and stuff. That, that's who I'm fighting. I just started, but I have this bonus of being like being in the ring or even the walkout, everything. It's it's like I was born for that kind of thing. And it's, you know, also why I've been so successful, I guess, in business is that it just had to be a business that allowed me to be creative and fun and outgoing and, and you know, like that has resulted in, in what it has. As someone who has never been punched in the face, what is that like? Phoebe, I'm happy to punch you in the face if you <laughs> want to know. Um, I don't know because I think I forget. <laughs> I honestly don't associate boxing or fighting with getting punched in the face. I think that it's almost like you forget that that part of any of it. I mean, you'd have to. Otherwise, why would you step back <laughs> into the ring? Yeah. Um, and I think the better boxer, you know, you get you trying to avoid to get hit in the face. So. <laughs> <laughs> Boxing is, and, and you'll always hear it, it's clinical. People who are good boxers are clinical, clinically violent, I guess. You, you know, a good boxer, there's a big difference between, say, my first fights when I'm out there and I'm just slugging away and got through with Will. And I guess now when you are picking shots and doing things and that that is what keeps you so entertained because like as in me entertained with it as a game, it feels like a constant game because you get better and better and then your opponents get better and better and it's harder to read them and, you know, piece it together it, to get through that clinically and, and smart and, and, and finish with the same result. I'm so glad you've explained it like that because I never can understand why when I look at you when you're in the ring, you're smiling and laughing. <laughs> it's, it's honestly, guys, just go box. It's so <laughs> good. I, I love it. Whether it's a boxing ring, a boardroom, or even a stage, wherever you feel the happiest, the most content, and above all else feel confident is exactly where you belong. And someone else who can absolutely attest to that fact is BJ Connolly. Hey, my name's BJ Connolly. I'm a stand-up comedian. I also work as a finance journalist at an accounting firm. I also do postgrad business at QUT. And I also one day want to be the world's biggest comedy pop star.
so I was diagnosed with Asperger's and ADHD when I was six years old. I was like a very socially awkward child. I didn't really get along with the other kids in grade one at school. I used to just like sit with the teacher on yard duty and talk to them. And I've always been like very curious about learning. I've loved like learning new bits of information. Like I wrote John Howard, the prime minister, a letter when I was seven years old about like wanting to ban plastic bags in shopping centers. And he wrote, wrote back to me. So I've just always had like been a very curious about learning and but I like struggled to make friends up until about grade 10 at school and then I was like I'm in grade 10 I have no friends but all this knowledge like study social skills and then I read like all these books on like how to improve your social skills and make friends and then got four and a half thousand friends on Facebook and was really popular at school so it worked out well yeah how do you learn social skills because I feel like it was something that you read about or something that you had to practically apply or you learn through trial and error so a lot of people have this misconception that autistic people are very shy and introverted, but there's also a lot of extroverted autistic people who will go out there, try to socialise, talk to people, then embarrass themselves, say the wrong things, and then they retreat from that conversation and then they have to, like, test new ways of, like, how to make people want to, like, be friends with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So, like, testing new material in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, what I figured out, my little strategy was when you meet someone new, tell them, something exciting that's happened in your life recently. So you're starting with a really positive story and that way you're more likely to give a positive first impression. And if you can't think of something positive to say, just tell them you're happy to see them and ask them what's the most exciting thing that's happened in their life recently. So then they're thinking about something positive. So can you give me an example of that kind of interaction now? Like if you were to meet me for the first time, which we are meeting for the first time now. So I just told you I've done four comedy gigs in the last week and they've been a lot of fun. So it's like something exciting that's happened recently. And is that like a conversation starter? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people, they'll start a conversation like, oh, it's so fine and sunny today. I'm like, who cares? Like we can see the weather. And I'm like, why the fuck do people do that? Like I've never understood the concept of why people talk about the weather. I hate small talk. It's actually something I feel really uncomfortable engaging with. It's almost like, why would I want to talk to someone who's just going to say, like, acknowledging something that we're already aware Mm -hmm. of? Like, yeah, the sun's out. We get it. Like, whenever I, like, meet a girl and I'm attracted to ask her three questions, it's like, what's the toughest decision you've had to make in your life? If you found out you had six months to live, how would you live differently? And then my other favourite question to ask her is, what's the harshest criticism you've ever received and how you respond to that? And then that way I can just gauge everything I need to know about their mindset. And is it something that you ask them on a first date or is it something you ease your way into? Uh, depends how autistic I feel that day. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Rather than seeing his autism as something he needs to repress... BJ has embraced it in full force and I know I, along with the 200 people he gets along to his comedy gigs, are so glad that he does. I think the thing I love about my neurodiversity the most is my memory. So, for example, when I'm performing stand-up comedy and I do crowd work, I ask the audience members what their birthday is and I'll just tell them random events and facts and stuff that happened on that birthday in previous years. So, yeah, I just, like, remember stuff and I love how I can, like, taking so much information, store it in my brain and then use that to accomplish all my goals. What's your birthday? 15th of October. 15th of October. Your birthday was a Friday last year? Yes. Yeah, I'm autistic. So I remember like dates of everything. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to test you on that one. Um, My boyfriend's birthday is on November 13. November 13. Oh, that was a Saturday. It was really hot too. Yeah, it was. was I remember. Yeah, I actually went to David Jones that day because I ordered clothes online that didn't come in the mail. So I like went to David Jones. I was like, where the fuck's my clothes? Like, why have they (laughs) (laughs) And they, and so yeah, that's my memory from that day. Do you 
photographic memory? Not so much like a photographic memory, but what I do is I see A is 1, B is 2, Z is 26. So like A is the first letter of the alphabet, B is the second. So for example, Phoebe is P-H-O-E-B. So P is 16, H is 8, O is 15, E is 5, B is 2, E is 5, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think of like P is the 16th letter of the alphabet. There's 16 letters in Phoebe. And so that's the 16th of June. And the 16th of June this year was on a Thursday, I believe. And when I think of 16th of June, that was the day Donald Trump announced he was going to run for president in 2015. So This is incredible. So my brain is just like tripping me out all the time. So talk to me about comedy because it's such a big part of your life now. And as you said, you've already done four gigs this week. Yep. Um, Why did you get into it? How did you get started? Why did you want to get into it? So first ever gig was the 5th of November 2018 at the Sit Down Comedy Club. I did a comedy course with a lady called Fiona McGarry. She's a Brisbane comedian. Mm -hmm. And we had to write five minutes of material, went on stage, crushed really hard. There was like 200 people in the crowd. It was a lot of fun. For your first show, you had a crowd of 200. Because like everyone who like did the course had to like bring friends and family. Oh my God. And it was really fun. And then were you just addicted? (laughs) Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. What's your goal with your comedy? So I'm doing stand-up, but I also have music on Spotify. I've released my debut single, I'm Autistic, I Don't Get Social Cues, and I'm really proud of it making a music video at the moment. I've done, like, reaction videos to the autism dating show Love on the Spectrum. So in the next 12 months, I want to, like, keep releasing more songs. I've already recorded my first four singles. And so I'm going to put, like, release them, like, over the next 12 months release comedy songs to do like a big solo show and then even like transition to like making serious pop music like completely transition over wow. and then like become like a global pop star like that is like the biggest dream that I have so we've heard from a boxer a comedian and an aspiring global pop star with a single out on Spotify which are definitely not careers you would stereotypically associate with neurodiverse people but Nicola and BJ don't see their neurodivergence as a problem they rather view it as a platform And really, no matter how your brain operates or where you are on the spectrum, your view of life should be the same. And that is, wherever you work, however you live and whatever you do, above all else, just make sure that you live with confidence. I think just my whole life, my biggest philosophy is to view any hardships I experience in life as opportunities to help other people. So I feel like when you're driven to have good intentions to help others, you don't really lose your confidence because you know that even if you fail or things don't work out or people don't appreciate you, at least your intentions were good. And I feel like that's what keeps my confidence going. I love that. Can I ask one more thing? Yeah. I know this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, sorry, but yeah. can you sing me maybe your favourite verse from one of your songs? That I've written? Yeah. Um, why don't we just do the chorus? I'm autistic. Um don't give me subtle hints don't play with your hair and wink i'm autistic i'm autistic if you want to suck my dick you gotta say it to my face i'm autistic and i don't get social cues oh yeah (laughs) and that's on spotify guys i'm autistic i don't get social cues by bj conley And that's it for another episode of Good Feels. Remember, if you like this podcast, rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'll be back on Friday with some feel-good stories to ring you into the weekend. And don't forget, for more feel-good content, follow the Good Lad socials. The thing that society forgets to tell us is that ADHD isn't a deficit of anything. It's the ability to achieve anything when you're not forced into a mould. <laughs>